Well, before we get started here, I just have to tell you about this place I found, okay? You guys, it is so good. Even before you get in the parking lot, you can smell the goodness. I just have to tell somebody so I can share this joy with you. My meal arrived, and I thought heaven had come down on a plate. You could see the pure joy on everyone's faces as they dug in. I pleaded for more, and they rescued me from my hunger. They catered to my every need. You have to see for yourself. You will, you will, you will be blessed beyond imagination. Trust me, if you go, you won't be disappointed. Are you sold yet? Well, it's called Walk in the Park, it's right down the street, and it's closed on Sundays. So unfortunately, you can't scratch that itch just today. This is basically how David approaches this psalm, but instead of singing the praises of Walk in the Park, he is celebrating what the Lord has done in his life. Let's stand and let's read Psalm 34, and it's on page 463 in the pew bible in front of you psalm 34 page 463 of david when he changed his behavior before abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away i will bless the lord at all times his praise shall continually be in my mouth my soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O oh children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saved, saves the crushed in spirit. Many of the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. You can have a seat. Well, what I want you to take away from this today is to experience the good life in Christ by trusting his ways. So just a little bit of the backdrop on this psalm. You can see from the superscription or what might be called the title 
of this psalm, uh, the ESV kind of puts it nicely when they say of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. Really what happened was David pretended to be insane to get out of a tight spot. Also, Abimelech is actually a title for King Achish. Achish. So this is the story. David was on the run from King Saul, who was out to kill him because he was jealous of him as a threat to his throne. He went to the Philistine city of Gath to seek asylum, and that's where he had just killed Goliath a few years earlier, so he must have been very desperate. And um, so I'm going to read that section of David's story in 1 Samuel 21. So feel free to flip there with me if you'd like to. It's on page 244. 1 Samuel 21, verses 10 through 22, verse 2. And David arose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is not this David, the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate and let his spittle run down over his beard. <laughs> then Achis said to him, his servants, I think that's um, long for spit, I, I'm guessing, spittle. Is that what you say? Yeah. Behold, you see the, mad, the man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down to there to him. And everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. And he became commander over them. And there were with him about 400 men. A famous preacher, Charles Spurgeon, said, that this was an undeserved deliverance. And I think I agree with his assessment on that. Um, but I think what this shows us, even from the very beginning, before the psalm even starts, is that God's grace is shown. And I think we can relate to that. But David wrote this psalm as sort, of, sort of to commemorate this event. Um, the structure of the psalm, it's actually an acrostic poem. So you see there's 22 verses. There are actually 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. So David wrote, sat down, and he took the alphabet, and he wrote down each verse for each, song, for each uh, uh, letter of the Hebrew alphabet, with a couple exceptions. But this would have been a tool for learning and memorization. So what we also see in here is we kind of break down as we look at the big picture of this psalm. The first half is really a testimony, David's testimony of what happened, and the second half is more of a teaching. So in this first half, verses 1 through 10, David encourages others with this story. And in part 2, David invites others to come to the good life. So in this first section, I want us to see this as sort of a model of how to encourage others with your story. To celebrate what God has done in your life and to invite others to do the same. Uh, to experience the same thing. So verse 1 says... I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. 
My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. David invites others to praise him for what God has done in his life. We know that David was in less than ideal circumstances, and he still chose to praise God. He didn't boast about how he fooled everybody and fooled the king to get out of trouble. He focused on the fact that he was seen in his hour of need. And he invites others to celebrate with him. In the next stanza, he tells others what God has done in his life in a bit more detail. Verse 4, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. So what do we have here in this section? There's sort of a pattern that that arises here from trouble to prayer to deliverance to joy. Trouble to prayer to deliverance to joy. So obviously, as far as trouble, we know that David was certainly a poor man. This may have been the lowest point in David's life thus far. Uh, He had to part from his best friend Jonathan after he was told that Jonathan's father, King Saul, was going to kill him. He was alone, unprotected, without food, hiding in a cave. So then he goes to prayer. And even though he took things into his own hands, somewhere there must have been a desperate plea for help. So where do you run for deliverance? Are there any counterfeit saviors in your life that you run to? I know that's true for me. As we're on this journey of Psalm 34, I'd like to pause uh, for, to take a little detour to a, a beautiful lookout. As we pause kind of on this prayer piece, I'd just like to jump out a section and take advantage of this opportunity to talk about prayer a little bit. What does that look like for us to cry out to God, to commune with God? And so could you put that slide of prayer up? Just to slip in a quick teaching on prayer, I actually went through a study on this with uh, a group this last year. And um, this kind of lays out four ways to set ourselves before God and to really just surrender to his love. Four ways that open ourselves up to God's goodness as we talk about taking advantage of that. So the first one is talking to God. When you first come to God, it's like as a child, um, you might you might need the words to say, right? And so you can use pre-made prayers. You could use something like the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. As Jesus taught his disciples. It could be something like this very psalm, using the words of the psalmist as the words for your prayer. As you progress in your prayer with God, you move to talking with God. Things, sharing things like gratitude and lament and petition and intercession. Gratitude being the good things, right? Lament being sharing the bad things with God. Petition and intercession, 
asking God for something or praying for someone else. We move from that to listening to God. As we grow in our relationship with people, as we grow from being kids, we move from just, you know, if you, if you know kids, they usually just talk at you. They're not very good at listening. And so when we grow in our relationship with God, we grow in listening to him. We listen to scripture. We, learn, we listen for what God might be impressing on you as you read. Um, you can practice something called listening prayer, asking the spirit to speak to you, speaking to you through scripture through a thought or impression, even maybe through a picture. And then to always test what you hear through scripture and through God's community. And then there's being with God. As you mature in your relationship with God, as you mature with your relationship with anybody, think about the closest people you, the people you're closest with. The people you're closest with, you are most comfortable with being silent together. Isn't that true? And I think it's the same with God. where we can just sit and be in the presence of God. And that's enough. Um, There's also something within this practice that um, is called a breath prayer. And I've actually been practicing this myself. It's just where you, um, it's just a little tool where you have a phrase when you breathe in and a phrase when you breathe out. I deal a little bit with anxiety. And so the the one that I've been uh, using a lot lately is, Lord Jesus, you're enough. Lord Jesus, you're enough. And it just helps me to center on Christ and to focus and to be with him. So you could just start by incorporating one of these into a daily prayer rhythm. Just figure out a time and a place and just try to keep it regular. So that's our little detour of prayer as we, as we look at this psalm. So in David's psalm, we see this pattern of trouble, prayer, deliverance, and joy. And so as far as deliverance, David's life didn't immediately change. His life was spared, but it wasn't until looking back over a period that he saw God's hand. So what was he delivered from? In verse 4, we see he's delivered from fears. In verse 7, he's delivered from enemies. In verse 17 and 19, he's delivered from troubles. Where have you seen God's hand in your life? Have you seen him deliver you from from these? What does deliverance often look like? It's not that we won't have troubles, but that we're delivered from them by God's power. God transforms difficult circumstances by his presence and the presence of others. And then we have joy. Those who look to him are radiant. Through the ministering power of God's presence, we can have deep-seated joy even in the midst of ever-present difficulty. Have you experienced this pattern in your life? Trouble, prayer, deliverance, joy? Have you shared it with others? Maybe texting friends or your small group about something God did, an answer to prayer, praising God in prayer together or singing in gratefulness? There's a well-known Swedish or maybe Spanish, I'm not sure which, proverb that I heard recently from John Ness. It says, shared joy is a double joy. Shared sorrow is half a sorrow. And that's a truth we see in scripture. 
So David doesn't stop there. He invites others to experience God in their life. So he goes through the situation, and he just can't. It's like with walk in the park, right? You experience a good thing, and you just have to share it with others. So verse 8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. You've got to try the sunrise curry. Life-changing. <laughs> the only way to know I'm right is to go try it yourself. Don't take my word for it. Commentator James Boyce says that we need to act on what we know of God and his goodness. Can we put that slide up, that next one, just so you can see. We need to act on what we know of God and his goodness, for only then will we actually experience for ourselves how good God truly is. I've found this to be a fresh reality in the last couple years in my life, treating God as a person to be in relationship with, someone to spend time with and share my joys and sorrows, to seek guidance, to listen, to be with. Recently, I was in anguish about something, and instead of doing what I would typically do, sink into anxiety and depression, analyze it with Jenny ad nauseum, try to strategize a way to solve the situation, I literally just fell to my knees and prayed and asked some friends to pray. Miraculously, <coughs> miraculously, you're just, on your, on your, you're just waiting on your pins and needles. What happened? I'll tell you in a second. <clears throat> in a matter of moments, the debilitating fear and anxiety and fog lifted my energy renewed, and I was able to live life with joy the rest of the day. I shared this experience with the group I asked to pray for me to let them know what God did. They rejoiced with me, praised God, and as my sorrows were halved, my joys were doubled. And this isn't just to say, just pray away everything. That's not always the case. This is just my story, and I want to share it with you. So let's get this to, the, uh, to the second half of the psalm. Here, David invites others to come to the good life. So he says, taste and see that the Lord is good. So what, what is that good life? He teaches us more about what that life is. I've recently discovered an interest in biographies. So I asked Jenny to hook me up with some good ones. Right now I'm on Steve Jobs by Walter Isaacson on the late founder of Apple. Steve was adopted into a loving, church-going family. One day he challenged his pastor about the problem of suffering, and he didn't want anything to do with that God. Steve went on a long and committed journey into Zen Buddhism and LSD in the 70s, trying in vain to find a peace and tranquility that he never quite found. He thought religion was at its best when it emphasized spiritual experiences rather than received dogma. He said this, The juice goes out of Christianity when it becomes too based on faith rather than on living like Jesus or seeing the world as Jesus saw it. I think it's unfortunate that Jobs 
gave up on Christianity so quickly, creating a false dichotomy between the ways and the truth of Jesus. Before he could trust and experience the goodness of God's ways, a life God wanted to live through him and a world God wanted to change through him. Verse 11 says, Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. David is basically saying, God offers the good life, so let's follow him. Here the good life is doing good, speaking the truth, and seeking peace. Note what it's not, what he's not saying. It's not health and wealth necessarily, or doing whatever you want, or seeking pleasure. Verses 12 through 16 are actually quoted in 1 Peter 3, 10 through 12, as a promise of God's blessing for those who live a godly life. But here's the thing. Just after he quotes this, he says this, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. And beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you and to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings. You are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rest upon you. You are blessed because you have the very spirit of God within you. Following Christ doesn't mean a trouble-free existence. It means you'll experience him as he works in and through you. Commentator Derek Kidner says, you put up the next slide there, the good you enjoy goes hand in hand with the good you do. It is an emphasis which answers the suspicion first aroused in Eden that outside the will of God rather than within it lies enrichment. Adam and Eve found out the hard way that God's ways really are good and that he really did have their flourishing in mind. Verse 15 says, The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ear to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. David says, God offers comfort, so let's cry out to him. Verse 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. David's saying, God offers redemption, so let's hide in him. And this points us to our ultimate redemption in the Lord Jesus. Deliverance, like David had, from King Achish is great, but ultimate deliverance is on offer. The Lord Jesus saved us from the power of sin and Satan and death when he laid down his life and resurrected to show that he has put them to death by a greater power than theirs. And our deliverance is comprehensive. We've been saved from the penalty of sin 
We are being saved by the power of sin and Satan and death. And we will be saved by the very presence of sin. Not only that, but we've been saved for something. God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, Colossians 1. Jesus came that we may have life and have it abundantly, John 10. And we were created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. One day the Lord would come that we could taste and see his goodness, that we would experience him live and in person. He would show us the ways of the kingdom, a rich life beyond compare. At the end of his life, as he was dying from cancer, Walter Isaacson captured this from Steve Jobs. I'm about 50-50 on believing in God. For most of my life, I've felt that there must be more to our existence that meets the eye. I like to think that something survives after you die. It's strange to think that you accumulate all this experience and maybe a little wisdom, and it just goes away. So I really want to believe that something survives, that maybe your consciousness endures. He fell silent for a very long time. But on the other hand, perhaps it's like an on-off switch. He said, click, and you're gone. Then he paused again and smiled slightly. Maybe that's why I never like to put on-off switches on Apple devices. It would be an understatement for me to say that I am so glad we have infinitely more hope than that. Amen? I want to tell the Steves of the world to try God, to take up the invitation to experience the good life in Christ, to tell them that we don't need to wait until we die to see what happens, but that we can experience eternal life here and now and come under God's kingdom ways on earth as it is in heaven. So give relationship with Jesus a chance. Treat him like a friend or a spouse that you would like to get to know more and get closer to. Trust his ways as truly living your best life. They say there's no learning without practice and reflection. So here's your assignment. Reflect on your own story of God's goodness in your life and share it with someone else. So let's celebrate this life we have in Christ as we take communion, remembering the sacrifice of his blood shed and his body broken for us, symbolized by the juice and the cracker. If you want to experience the life God has for you instead of a cheap counterfeit and put your confidence in Jesus to heal you, save you, and lead you to the life that you ache for, then come to the table and eat with us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this life that you offer us because of what your son has done in our place. God, we thank you for rescuing us and redeeming us. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.